you please open your Bibles with me this morning to the Gospel of Mark, chapter number 9. This morning we will be reading verses 9, or excuse me, verses 14 through 29. Mark 9, 14 to 29, a passage where despite the struggling faith of all those involved, we see, we get to watch. <laughs> we get to stand in awe. This morning, the Lord Jesus, as he reaches into the life of a young boy, ruined by Satan, and bring a miraculous healing. So friends, if you're someone this morning that is struggling in faith, or perhaps someone you love is under the power of Satan, this passage is for you. Follow along in your Bibles as I read beginning Mark 9, verse number 14. And when they came to the disciples, they there being Jesus, Peter, James, and John, when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, they were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And Jesus asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I have brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked his disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And Jesus Answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the Spirit saw him immediately, it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? He said, from childhood. Every parent in here this morning should be trembling right now. From childhood. And it is often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out, many versions say, with tears, and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that the crowd, that a crowd had come running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse. So that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus... 
But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, meaning Jesus, when Jesus had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why couldn't we cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out, but by anything but prayer. And many versions add prayer and fasting. Lord, we ask for your unction, the anointing that you promised in First John that dwells in each believing heart this morning, to come now, Open our eyes to the glory of Christ in this passage. Open our eyes to the great need that we, each one of us, has this morning in this passage. And Lord, open the eyes of those who do not believe and have not yet believed and trusted on you so that they might see for the very first time a Savior who will redeem their lost souls their lost lives. We ask this in His name and for His glory. Amen. You may be seated. I do admit it's a little hard to to preach very clearly after singing It Is Well With My Soul. Maybe next time we need to put that song first. I don't know. But have you ever been at a point in life where you were in a desperate situation, no matter what you tried, you actually only made it worse, (laughs) tried to fix it? Maybe you're there right now. You've done all that you know to do. Something is wrong. You're in a situation, a scenario, a mess. You're doing what you know to do and nothing's changing. In fact, it's only getting worse. Maybe it's a troubled marriage. Maybe it's a wayward child. Maybe it's declining health. Something from your past that you just cannot get away from. It haunts you day by day. Young people here this morning, maybe it's something that you're facing. Maybe at school, maybe with your peer group, maybe in your own hearts at night when you lie on your bed and tears stream down your face and dampen your pillow because you hate yourself. You don't feel like anyone loves you. And you know, we may never say the words out loud, but our hearts often, they start to wonder if even God is able to make a difference. And some of you this morning, you may may be just about all out of faith. You may be thinking, if my situation depends on my faith, on the greatness of my faith, I might as well throw in the towel now (laughs) because I am done. But I have good news for you this morning, friends. Your situation does not depend on the greatness of your faith, but on the greatness of your Savior. 
That's what it depends on. Because in this episode from Mark 9, we see that the power of Christ to redeem hopeless situations is not limited by the weakness of human faith. And so I want us this morning, as we do so often as we've been working through this Gospel of Mark, to join this crowd here in Mark 9, gathering around the Lord Jesus as He comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration. And I want us to hear Him speak to us through His Word in our own lives or in whatever trials of faith that we may find ourselves in today. This is where we need to be, here at the foot of this mountain. And so the first thing that we see here in this text is that Jesus brings hope to the messes that we make. Jesus brings hope to the messes that we make. Everybody in here knows that we make messes. And we see that here in this text. Mark describes the scenario for us beginning at verse number 14. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd. Now, three of the disciples are with Jesus. They're on, they've been on the mountain probably all night long. As a matter of fact, Luke tells us that because Luke says in his version of the account, on the next day. So you remember last week when I said the transfiguration probably took place at night? It probably did. They're coming down the mountain to the rest of the disciples, the other nine, Peter, James, and John with Jesus. And verse 14 tells us that they saw a great crowd around them, the disciples and scribes, arguing with them, the disciples. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, Jesus, they were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. You ever been so glad to see somebody? <laughs> in verse 16, he asked them, What are you arguing about? What's, what's going on here? The Lord says. And then verse 17, Someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. That means he's unable to speak. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out. And they were not able. So immediately when Jesus, Peter, James, and John come down from that mountain, after a night of the kingdom having come in power, preview of it, right? They come down and immediately they find themselves in this chaos. Chaotic situation. Essentially, brothers and sisters, it was a failed exorcism. And there's a lot of things going on here. I, I counted at least five things. Let's go through them together. Number one, there's a young boy who is devastated by Satan. And there's his desperate father who is looking for help. Secondly, there are nine disciples who want to help. They're trying to help, but they can't. They had cast out demons before. We've read about it in Mark when Jesus sent the twelve out. I give you power, he said. 
It was his power they had. But this time there was something different, and they really only make matters worse because they invite, thirdly, the critique of the scribes. You know, there's always the religious folk who are there to tell you how bad you've messed up. Fourthly, there's the pressure of the crowd, the frenzy of the crowd. You know that you see that we've read the text. The language is unusual. This is bizarre what's happening here before everybody. But most of all, fifthly, it's who's not there. The scribes are there, the crowds are there, the boys are, the boy with the demon is there, his father is there, the disciples are there, but Jesus is not there. It is the absence of Jesus. And friends, that absence was felt by everyone, but especially these nine disciples who were left behind as Peter, James, and John went with the Lord to the Mount of Transfiguration. There were nine of them left behind. And I imagine they thought, when are they going to get off of that mountain? Where is the Lord when we need Him? Have you ever felt like that? You're trying your best. (laughs) You're doing everything you know. But Jesus just seems absent. And everything you're doing is just making the situation worse. Well, friends, though Jesus may feel absent at times, He may feel a million miles away. He always shows up. Look at verse number 15. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw Him... They were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted to him, greeted him. Finally, they said, Jesus, the master, is here. Mark says the crowd was greatly amazed. We don't know what that means, you know. Commentators think that it could have been possibly from the lingering effects of the transfiguration. Maybe. We don't know for sure, but the crowd, they were just glad to see Jesus. Imagine the relief of the disciples who were still trying to fend off those critical scribes. Oh, friends, but things were about to change because the great physician was now on the scene. Jesus gets there in verse 16. He says, he says what are you guys arguing about? What's this... What's the commotion all about? What in the world is going on here? And before anyone could answer, a desperate father, he speaks up out of the crowd. He's pushed his way to the front of the line like a crazed fan bound to get the autograph of their favorite artist. (laughs) He's, He's there at the front. He says, Lord, I brought my son to you. Something... Evil has a hold of him. But you were not here. And so I asked your disciples if they would help, if they would heal him, but they couldn't. This was a mess. And Jesus had a very stern rebuke for his disciples, didn't he? Look at verse number 19. 
he answered them, O faithless generation. How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Like a good father who has taught his children well, and yet they keep making the same mistakes over and over. Jesus says to his his nine guys there, How long do I have to put up with you guys and your unbelief? This is not the first time they've doubted Jesus. This is not the first time they've had unbelief. You remember when he calmed the storm, he said, where is your faith? They said, Master, we're on the boat. Storm waves are crashing in. We're about to perish. Don't you care? And he says, where is your faith? The master of the wind is in the boat with you. How long will I have to put up with you and your unbelief? Ouch! This had to hurt. And we don't know what they did differently because they had dealt with demonic spirits before. In His name, in His power. But something was different this time and they failed and Jesus said it was because of their lack of faith. You see, even believers can have unbelief. And I wonder this morning, how often does the Lord look at each one of us and just shake His head? Because no matter how many times He has shown Himself to be faithful and true to us, our faith is still so far off target. Friends, it is time for us to repent of our unbelief and quit acting like Shallow faith is okay. I know there are a lot of people out there writing books. It's okay to be weak. It's okay to be to, to, to be an unbeliever. It's not. Jesus said, Oh, faithless generation, how long am I going to have to put up with you? But thanks be to God. <laughs> Jesus is merciful. And He steps into our messes and He brings hope. Look at the end of verse 19. This episode is about to take a dramatic turn with these four hope-filled words. When Jesus says to these, these guys, Bring Him to me. Bring Him to me. I'll do what you couldn't do. And I want to tell you this morning that it doesn't matter what situation you are in right now, what you're feeling right now, friends, bring it to Jesus. Feel the, yes, feel the healing sting. This stings. It stings. The healing sting of our, of His rebuke for our unbelief. And then we run to Him with our mess. Run to Him with your marriage. Run to Him with your heartache. Run to Him with your children. Run to Him with your sin. Friends, He is telling each one of us this morning through the words of this inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God, 
bring it to me. And this, my brothers and sisters, should strengthen our faith to know that no matter what mess we're in or how we just keep making it worse, we're trying to fix it, but we just keep making it worse, Jesus will step into our situation with hope. That's the promise right here in the first four or five verses of this text. He will come to our mess with hope. Bring it to Him. Secondly, we see in this passage that Jesus not only brings hope to our mess, He brings help to our struggling faith. He brings help to our struggling faith. The, the, the driving theme of this account is the faithfulness of Christ in the face of failure of, of our faith, the failure of unbelief. He's faithful, even when we're not. We've seen the struggling faith of the disciples. And friends, let's not play any games here. These guys, on their worst day, still had more faith than we have on our best. They were with him. They saw it all. So let's not think of ourselves as on a different level than the disciples, okay? We're, we're struggling too. <laughs> We've seen the struggling faith of the disciples, but now the focus shifts to the struggling faith of the father of this demon-possessed boy. Look at verse number 20. And they brought the boy to him, and when the Spirit saw him, when the Spirit saw Jesus, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming about at the mouth. The details that Mark gives us throughout this passage are graphic, aren't they? If you look at this in parallel with the other synoptic gospels, Mark and Luke, so Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all tell the same story. Mark's passage is almost three times as long, his account. He's interested in the details here. And they're graphic. Almost like something we would see in a horror film today. There is a war going on here in the spirit realm that we can scarcely imagine. And when this unclean spirit sees Jesus Christ, he knows that his reign of terror over this boy's life is about over. But he's not going down without a fight, is he? And perhaps that is what gave the disciples so much trouble. It's why they couldn't deal with him. Because if this demon spirit acted out like this in front of the incarnate Son of God, imagine what he did with the disciples when Jesus was not there. It's a terrifying scene. It would be rated R in our day, friends. Look at verse 21. Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. This kid, this little boy was probably under 12. 
And this had been happening to him for a long time. Verse 22, and it is often, it being the Spirit, it has often cast him into the fire and into the water. Why? To destroy, to, to kill him. Young people, I want you to take special notice at, at these verses here. If you're under 20 this morning, this is what Satan wants to do to your life. And you are never too young for him to get a grip on you. He wants to destroy you. Maybe not through demon possession, right? Like this young boy. Maybe so. Friends, let's not play games this morning. This stuff still happens. It is real. But more than bizarre, supernatural manifestations of foaming at the mouth, grinding your teeth, and seizing up on the floor, Satan is more likely to to come at our young people through deception. And he'll do it through anti-Christ ideologies that you might hear at school. Critical race theory, pro-LGBT content, this stuff is filling the curriculum in classrooms all over this country. This stuff is an enemy of the gospel. And of course, the lie of evolution has been there for decades. And we wonder why our kids are walking away from Christianity. He'll come at you through anti-Christ ideologies, but he'll also come at you through the deceitful pleasures of sin. He'll come at you through the influence of wrong friends and a million other ways. He may even come at you through the failure of your parents to raise you in a godly way. Whatever the case, he wants you in the same place as this young man right here in Mark chapter 9, under his total control, under his dominion. That's where he wants our kids. Okay, That's where he wants them. But this boy had a desperate father, didn't he? He had a man who was willing to press through the crowd. In fact, if you've been paying attention over the past... I don't know, months and months and months. This is the third time in the Gospel of Mark that we see a desperate parent bring their child to Jesus Christ. The first was Jairus, you remember the ruler of the synagogue in Mark chapter 5. The second was just, a, I don't know, a month ago maybe, in Mark 7 with the Syrophoenician woman. And then that, now here in Mark 9, you find this father bringing his possessed son to Jesus. You think Mark is trying to tell us something about how much our kids need Jesus? We don't we don't have time to play games, parents. If you're not actively bringing your kids to Jesus, a lot of ways to do that, but probably the number one way is right here this morning. 
And with this word around the dinner table or around the coffee table or around the living room during the week in family worship, we have to be bringing our kids to Jesus Christ or they'll end up just like this young man. Look at the middle of verse 22. The father, he says to Jesus, you know, I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't help. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And then Jesus, he he almost has a, a surprising reply, doesn't he? Look at verse number 23. And Jesus said to him, if you... Okay, so there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a manuscript issue here, all right? So your version may have words that, what I, that I'm not going to read, all right? I'm going to read it from the ESV. Verse 23, and Jesus said to him, if you can, what? If you, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. And so we're going to look at this, this sort of, Textual issue tonight at 6 p.m. We're having service here in the fellowship hall. As we often do, we fill in the blanks from what's left out on Sunday morning. This is important. We're going to have a discussion tonight on the nature of faith. But this verse says in the original language, Jesus looks at this man and says, "What If you can... As if to say, what do you mean if I can? The question is not whether I am able. The question is not, will you, the question is, will you believe that I am able? Right? You see the difference. It's not about my ability to heal your son. Will you believe that I can heal your son? That's what he's saying to this man. He wants him to say, Lord, I know that you can, not, Lord, if you can. Oh, brothers and sisters, there is a night and day, a universe apart difference between if and I know. He wants him to say, Lord, I know that you can heal. Your disciples couldn't do it. But you can I know you can. And so verse 24 says, Immediately the father of the child cried out with tears. Tears streaming down his face. Any parents in here ever this morning, have you ever had tears streaming down your face because of your children? He cried out with tears and said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. There it is. This desperate father acknowledges his unbelief. And he pleads with the Lord to give him faith. And you know, friends, if we're not careful, we can come away with this passage with the wrong idea. You see, Jesus is not talking about the amount of faith this father has. As if Jesus has some sort of measuring cup for faith. And if this dad can just muster up enough faith to get it at the right level, then Jesus will move on his behalf. No, friends, that's not it at all. But that's, unfortunately, the idea that many of us today have about faith. 
It's not about the amount of faith we have, but the object of the faith that we do have. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 17, 20, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, be removed, and it will go into the sea. Nothing will be impossible to you who have just the faith of a grain of mustard seed. You see, friends, tiny faith can move mountains not because faith is some sort of mystical force that can do wonders. Faith doesn't do anything. It's not about a force of faith. It's about trust in the person who can do wonders. Your faith doesn't cast a mountain anywhere. It is your trust in Jesus Christ. And He is the one who throws the mountain and moves the mountain, friends. We don't hope in our faith. We don't put faith in our faith. And believe it or not, I guess back in the 80s and 90s, that was a popular teaching in in many churches. Have faith in your faith. No. Don't you dare do that. You have faith in Christ. You hope not in your faith. You hope in Christ. And that's the lesson that his father learns here. So what does he do? He throws himself in total trust and reliance on the Lord. And what happens? Jesus is faithful. Even in the face of this man's struggling faith. He doesn't say, hey, wait a minute. You get to this certain point, now I'll move. No. He says, Trust in me. Look at verse number 25. When Jesus saw that a crowd had come running together, so the crowd gets frenzied up again. I'm going to be honest with you. The, you know, Mark is very detailed, but there are some details that you know, are left to our imagination. And I think this spirit was becoming so disruptive in this young boy's life physically, in, in physical manifestations, that the crowd was getting stirred up. And Jesus, verse 25, rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Verse 26, after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse. So that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose So this demon is expelled, but his last gasp for power leaves this little boy, under 12 probably, seemingly lifeless, and everybody looks at him and says, he is dead. That's not the first time Jesus has heard that, is it? And so there is a comforting truth for us here. In these pews this morning in Pennsville, New Jersey in 2021, because when it looks like the devil has left us or left someone that we love completely destroyed in ruins, and everybody else looks at it and says, It's over. They're dead. Friends, Jesus is always there to reach down and take us by the hand 
and lift us back up. He does not dangle His grace above us, high above our heads, and, and say, if your faith is big enough to reach it, you can have it. No. He says, just believe in me. Just trust in me. And I will help you believe. Ephesians 2, 8-10 says that faith itself is a gift from God. We can't even believe unless Jesus gives us the faith to believe. That's what this father is looking at him and saying, Lord, I, I do believe, but give me more faith. Help me trust in you. And Jesus says to him, I will help you. I will take care of you. So how do we get here? How do we get from unbelief, from the mess that the disciples are in, to where Jesus is touching this boy and restoring him back to health and life? This is where the rubber of principle meets the road of application, friends, right here. This is it. Look at verse number 28. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? What went wrong, Lord? And Jesus said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer and then fasting. So the disciples couldn't cast this demon out because of unbelief. So prayer then must be the antidote to unbelief. Because prayer brings the greatness and the glory of Christ into focus in our hearts so that as our vision of Him grows our faith in Him deepens. Friends, if you're trying to live a Christian life without prayer, throw in the towel. You'll never make it. And I think if we're honest this morning, none of us pray like we should. I know that if I were to judge our prayer lives based on our attendance for Wednesday prayer, that is an accurate statement. None of us pray like we should, including this preacher. And that is probably why we struggle so much. You ever thought of that? You ever wondered, why, why does this stuff keep happening to me? Why am I struggling so much? If we would spend less time murmuring about the situations that God has providentially brought and allowed into our lives and more time praying for just a greater, not for an answer. Not, we're not praying for an answer. We want to pray that God would give us a greater vision of the sufficiency of Christ. In every situation, friends, our perspective would change and our faith would mature because the more we pray the more we become submissive to God's will and satisfied in Christ. So, 
You may be here this morning, and you may be struggling in your faith. You may be very weak. You may think you're hanging on by a thread spiritually. Whatever is going on in your heart, I want to invite you to do what this father did this morning and run to Jesus and say, Yes, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Yes, I believe, but I've got unbelief too. Help it. Just lay it all on Christ this morning. Friends, if you have never turned from your sin and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, friends, your unbelief will send you to hell. That's the end of it. The the road, the path of unbelief ends in eternal damnation under the wrath of a holy and righteous God whose offense at your sin is infinite. Therefore, your punishment will be infinite. But here's the good news. There was a man... Alistair Begg said that he was the man on the middle cross. He stood in our place and absorbed that infinite wrath of his Holy Father for all those who would turn to him, repent of their sin, and trust in him by faith through grace. They would throw themselves on His mercy. They would be forgiven of their sin. They would be justified. They would be cloaked in a flawless righteousness that would make them acceptable before God. Oh, friend, if that's you, if you've never done that, today I want to call you to trust in Christ. I want to to close with this last verse. From not from Mark, actually, from Luke. Luke's version of this account ends differently. Luke 9.43 says this. After, after Jesus had healed this boy, it says this. They all were astonished at the majesty of God. So Jesus had once again left everyone's jaws on the floor doing what no one else could do. It was a glorious display of majestic divinity, and this is the only appropriate response to the mercy, grace, and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is astonishment, awe, and worship. That's it. So friends, from this passage, let your faith rise. Leave here encouraged. Let your faith rise. Let your hearts be filled with praise once again at the person and the work of our great Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray.